morning. We're going to go ahead and get started with the session of Stop the Hemorrhaging. Um, Steph to bring our young people back to the church. I am really excited to hear this session as I think all of us probably have, have a family member or know of some person in our lives that has left the church. So super excited to be here and see what these two gentlemen have to say to us. We have um, David Alpier and he is from Sioux Falls. He was born and raised close to the cathedral there. And he said that his mama always made sure that he got a good Catholic education. He graduated from O'Gorman and from USD. He and his wife, Cindy, have two children and seven grandchildren. And he is now a member of the um, Parish for the Blessed Sacrament here. He's active in Curcio and also has been a CCD teacher and on the RCIA team. And um, he has also taught religion at STM for a few years. So we welcome David Elkier, and Doug is going to introduce our other presenter. Our very own Father Mark McCormick, <laughs> Director of Stewardship and Office of Vocations. So, without any further ado, we will let them begin. Stop the hemorrhaging. <laughs> Thank you. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Inflame our hearts with the power of your love. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Um, okay, you guys know why we're here. We got we we went too long last time, but we're going to talk about the hemorrhaging, the attrition that that we as Catholics in the United States are experiencing with the loss of, of not only our our children, but our other loved ones, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles some cases even parents. Um, and, and we're trying to, to begin this process of what we need to do um, as intentional disciples uh, to bring our, our loved ones home. Um, so Father Mark and I are going to kind of give you a game plan. And, and it's going to be a really quick game plan because it's, it's a process that could take months, years, um, but at lifetime, okay? So um, what I'd like you to do is to watch this brief video. Um, outline stats, types, myths, mistakes, thresholds. I have to read all these because we're recording this and nobody will know what we're talking about. So, but watch this video, please. smart and gifted boy heads off to school. He makes new friends. He spends most of his time partying and he chases girls and he becomes drawn to a trendy new religion. Eventually, he moves in with his girlfriend and they have a child without being married. The boy's mother can only despair. She is heartbroken and helpless. That's not the story of a 21st century Catholic teenager and parent. It's the story of Monica and Augustine in the 4th century, but it wasn't the end of their story. They became two of the greatest saints in the history of the Catholic Church. Perhaps that's how your story has started. 
Your child may have left the church and you feel devastated. How can we bring your child back to the church? I've compiled the best tips and tools and strategies all in one place for you. Even if you see no way that your child can return to the church, there is always a path. And if you have the right tools and tips and strategies, you'll make it far more likely that will happen. So be confident you can help reverse your child's drifting and inspire his return. A hopeful message. But first of all, we wanted to give you um, some statistics that, that are uh, brought out in, in many surveys across our nation. Uh, first of all, 13% of Americans are former Catholics. Um, 6.5 people leave Catholicism for every one that joins. I've been involved in RCA for almost 20 years now. And my personal heartache is that about half of every RCIA class, two years afterwards, are no longer come to church. And so this statistic um, is kind of alarming. One third of the people raised in the church no longer identify as Catholics in the United States. Just a quick, quick thing, um, these slides will be available to you uh, as well. Um, so we'll send you the slides, the presentation. Yeah. Tony mentioned this last night, 24% of Catholics attend Mass on any given Sunday. I know that it's a lot better in our diocese than that. Father mentioned that it's not as good as Wichita, but we might be, we'll get there. Uh, one third of the millennials claim no religious affiliation those people that have born, been born since 1980. 16% of the millennials claim to be Catholic. The Catholic population, however, has kind of remained uh, the same simply because of immigration. Uh, a large Hispanic uh, immigration which is solidly Catholic. However, 79% of those who leave the faith do not do so before the age of 23. Is any of you, any of you, uh, have anybody that has left the faith? When did they leave? Is that pretty accurate? And that's why we call it stop the hemorrhaging. Yes, yes. The most Catholics who leave the church before the age of 23. Hispanics. 55% of the Hispanics are Catholic. One quarter of the Hispanics are former Catholics. Soon the majority of Catholics in the United States will be Hispanic. But the majority of Hispanics will no longer be Catholic. It's one of the things that we're doing in the Office of Vocation as Bishop has uh, put me in charge of trying to get some Hispanic seminarians who speak Spanish. And so right now we're in contact with one young man from Bogota, Colombia, uh, hoping to bring him uh, to our diocese and that he can, in the end, uh, work with our Hispanic uh, population as well. So it's an exciting uh, time, but it's really disheartening as well, right? 
we have seven reasons that people listed in the surveys why they left. First one found religion to like more, 10%. I have to read these once again because we're being recorded, so. Um, dissatisfied with the clergy. Now, I can't, ex I can't believe that. That's, that's a hard one. Uh, dissatisfied with the atmosphere of worship. 29% unhappy with the teachings about the Bible. 43% spiritual needs not being met. Has anybody have a friend, a relative or a child that has left the church because they were not being fed? Anybody? You won the prize. You raised your hand first. <laughs> this is a CD by Jeff Cavins called I Am Not Being Fed. Jeff Cavins was raised Catholic. Uh, he left the church, became a Protestant pastor. And um, after 12 years of being a Protestant pastor, through the grace of God and talking to Bishop Paul Dudley, who was the Bishop of Sioux Falls at the time, he came back to the Catholic Church. And he's one of the most renowned um, Bible scholars, apologetic uh, Catholic speakers in the nation. And this, this, this CD, and I recommend it, I buy I buy a stack of 20 at a time to give out to people, either in RCIA or people that I think need it, okay? 65% um, stop believing in the religion's teachings, and 71% just gradually drifted away. And then kind of, um, Voigt in his book talks about six types of fallen away Catholics, and, and this should make uh, sense to us. The first one he calls cultural Catholics, right? There's these, even cultural priests, right, who just kind of uh, do mass to kind of do the, the minimum, right? And this is a, a cultural Catholic, just kind of does the minimum, right? Um, uh, um, Kind of a smorgasbord Catholic, right? Like, I want to choose um, what's on the smorgasbord. I want to believe this teaching and not believe this teaching. Um, a lot of cultural Catholics are because they were raised Catholic. They have inherited uh, the faith. Um, there's not really a personal encounter at meeting uh, with Catholicism. Uh, a lot of times, uh, like uh, Joe or uh, David will speak about his son Joe. It's kind of a DNA Catholic, right? It's in his DNA, but really not living or practicing. Sometimes Brandon Boyd will call these C's and E's Christmas and Easter Catholics, or uh, P's and L's poinsettias and lilies, right? And kind of C's no Catholics. This one <clears throat> are called shruggers, right? Our Bishop Barrett says uh, they're kind of the May Catholics, right? Um, there's a religious uh, indifference um, it's kind of a, more of a recreational uh, faith, right? If you want to sleep in on Sunday and you want to go to church, you just go right ahead. If I want to spend my Sunday at the bookstore having my cappuccino and, and reading it, that's fine. You know, shruggers, uh, you can do what you want. Um, shruggers say that um, those who go to church are, are not really open-minded. Um, they're kind of stagnant uh, in their faith. Um, he would say they're um, 
and they're not really progressive. They see the church as being um, stagnant, not, not giving uh, much life. The third one, he says, uh, fallen away Catholics, they say they're spiritual, uh, but not religious. These are the nuns, they call them, the unaffiliated. Um, they reject religion, they reject uh, liturgy, doctrines, dogmas. But they still believe in God, they still believe in a higher power, they still want to seek and experience God. It's more want to experience the, the feelings of God. <clears throat> this uh, fourth one he calls uh, moral movers, and he says these are the, the pelvic Catholics uh, that deal with the pelvic issues. Abortion, homosexuality, um, divorce, contraception, marriage, re-divorce, uh, uh, marriage, uh, divorce, remarriage, uh, and, and a lot of them who fall in this, they just uh, think that the teachings of the church are, are not up with the signs of the times. Um, you know, they need to uh, get with uh, what the rest of the society and culture is thinking. Um, this next one is called religious switchers. <clears throat> which happens a lot when um, a person marries outside the Catholic faith. They might marry a spouse who's Protestant or non-denominational uh, or vice versa with a husband. Uh, also, uh, religious switchers, there's a lot who leave the church because they're not being fed. They have not met the person of Christ. And so Mass is boring. I, I get nothing out of it. And so I, I go to this church where I have encountered the presence of Jesus. Um, and then the sixth one are, are skeptics. Um, and this is really being affected uh, by the new atheist movement, uh, by writers like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, uh, who say that, um, that uh, Christianity is violent, it's irrational, and it's dangerous. And so 3% of fallen away Catholics would be atheists, and about 4% uh, would consider themselves to be agnostics, um, who really don't uh, believe in God, not sure if there is a God, or um, uh, if there is or not. Um, then I, we just want to talk about, <clears throat> he mentioned five myths about fallen away Catholics. Myth one, they come back eventually once they get married or have kids. Brandon, uh, Brandon Voice said, this is no longer true. It used to be true, but it's not. Especially because uh, marriage, kids are waiting longer to get married and having uh, less uh, kids. A myth two, uh, I took them to Mass and sent them to Catholic schools. That should have been enough, right? Um, the truth is simply many go through Catholic institutions, um, but it doesn't assure them that they have encountered Jesus Christ. Right, again, they're, they're hoping that sending them to church, sending them to a Catholic institution, that they will find Christ. And he said that's, uh, again, uh, a myth. The third myth, uh, they left because of me, it's all my fault, right? Brendan uh, Voigt would say, that's not necessarily true. There's some accountability on your, culpability on your part, uh, but um, you're not the main reason uh, that they have left the church. Um, uh, they, they won't, uh, myth four, they won't listen to me because it's just impossible to have a discussion about faith. And I just like um, this little line by um, Bert Gazzisi who says, we can't drag our loved ones to places where they think the Holy Spirit might strike them, right? <laughs> Just hoping, right? He says, 
but we, we cannot climb into their skins. We cannot manipulate their free wills. Their faith decisions are between God and, and God alone, which, which means if they do not, if they do drop out, we can't uh, immediately accept responsibility uh, for that. And then the fifth myth, um, it, it's hopeless, not, no matter what happens, my child is never coming back to the church. Um, the truth is that God wants your child back in the church probably more than you do, right? And, and so it's never hopeless. God will never give up uh, on your child, so you must never give up as well. And then just um, five, or the basics, uh, you are the key. Um, no tool or strategy can replace the fact that by virtue of being your child's parents, you are already the most important factor in this equation. No tip or strategy or tool can substitute for the role you play. You are the key. You are the key. You are the key. Wow. <laughs> Gotta work on this, David. <laughs> and then five to six. Uh, the Lord says, stop your crying and wipe away your tears. All that you have done for your children will, will not go unrewarded. There is hope for your future. Your children will come back home. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah 31, 16 to 17. So, don't force your kids to go to Mass, especially if they're adults. You can invite them, but don't force them. Criticize his lifestyle. Whoa. Um, sometimes you just got to forgive them. I forgive the choices that you've made. You have to do that. And you can't criticize them. It just draws you further apart. Anybody in here nag? Okay. <laughs> Don't nag them or her, okay? And don't dismiss the objections. You know, if they have objections, don't just dismiss them. Think about it and pray about it. Assume, the fifth one, assume you can, can change him. Um, you, you can't do it by yourself. You gotta, you gotta trust in the Holy Spirit, all right? And then just the five thresholds, again, this comes out of um, Sherry Waddell's book, Intentional Discipleships. A discipleship, there has to be initial trust with your child. And sometimes the one who left the church, there's that uh, relationship that has broken. And so you have to build up an initial trust. You have to have a connection uh, to your child. And then there's the spiritual curiosity. Uh, they might want to learn a little bit more of Jesus or um, uh, they're not quite open, but um, uh, there's something uh, to the faith. And then there's this spiritual openness where they, uh, they, they want to read more about uh, uh, Christ. They're more open to maybe coming back to the church. And then there's this spiritual seeking where they're going to kind of go after it a bit more. They're going to read. They're going to study. They're going to talk to others about uh, the faith. And then there's this intentional discipleship, right, which Tony and Chris have been talking the last two days when you're all in, right? It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so which threshold are you, are you, are you currently at? 
right? I bet all of us in the room were at different of these thresholds. Which one best describes where your child is, a, a friend who about the faith? And last, what can I do to help my child uh, reach the next threshold, right? Our goal is to move them through this to discipleship. Uh, I, I grew up a family of nine. My two oldest brothers are dead. Um, and, and this is why I kind of say not only your child, but also your brothers and sisters. Um, so my two oldest brothers are dead. They all went through Catholics, 12 years of Catholic school. Um, they tried to raise their family in the Catholic faith. Uh, of those two, I think there's nine kids between the two of them. One is still in the church. My, my next oldest brother left the church at 40, kind of reconciled with his wife, who was not Catholic, um, because it was kind of dividing the relationship. <coughs> so of, of, of his family, of course, none of them are in the Catholic Church any longer. My brother Bill went to St. John's University, uh, and uh, I hate to say it, but none of his kids are in the Catholic Church anymore. My sister Mary has four kids, none of her kids are in the Catholic Church. My sister Therese married a fine Polish man, Catholic. All their kids are in the Catholic Church, and all their kids are baptized. Um, sister Anne, none of them are in the church. Sister, my brother Joel, who I'm the closest to in college, had a conversion experience, encountered Christ through a Bible study, Campus Crusade for Christ. Had a powerful conversion. He left the church. Um, his five adopted kids obviously aren't in the church either. And, and, and they all, you know, some of them had relationship with Christ, some of them had encounters with Christ. Uh, and, and Father mentioned my son Joel. He says, yeah, I'm a Catholic. It's in my DNA. But his kids are baptized in the Catholic Church. They don't think it's important to go every Sunday. Um, and so that's, you know, as a parent and a grandparent, as a brother and sister, I want to be engaged. I want to be engaged. I, I, when I, one of the best things growing up as a kid is we all went to Mass together. We all received communion together. <laughs> you know, and, and I hope the body of Christ, once again, we pray every Sunday for the, uniting the body of Christ. Um, what do you do? This book has helped me a great deal to approach that. Father, how about your family? Yeah, I have uh, <laughs> uh, five brothers, uh, two sisters, and grew up Catholic. Grew up at Blessed Sacrament Church in Rapid City. Went to church every Sunday. Um, my dad, uh, even um, as a young child, he would come home for Lent. For he worked at the bank, and we would go to daily mass. And then um, uh, he died of a heart attack when I was in seventh grade. Um, but I remember asking my mom, Mom, well, why do we believe what we believe? And she would always say, uh, because we're Catholic. <laughs> and you're Catholic. I know, but <clears throat> why do we believe that? Well, you're, you're Catholic, that's why. Um, that should be good enough for you. It was good enough for me. 
right? And I, I, I love this because if you were to go in my family house even today, uh, the family cookbook, right? Uh, the family Bible is in the cookbook section. Right? And some of you heard this before, right? And if you were to pull out our family Bible, right, it would be smeared with olive oil and peanut butter frosting and water, right? Because it was used. But if you were to pull out our family Bible, it would go, <laughs> because it was never, never read, never put on the table, right? I never saw my mom and dad read the scripture at home. We, we, we pray, um, usually meal prayer, sometimes we pray the rosary. But just think of what that could have uh, meant to us, right? If, if the family Bible went on with the mashed potatoes and roast beef, green beans, right? My dad would pick it up and read a story. Then he would share with us what that story meant to his heart. And then he would go around the table, Mark, what, what is Jesus saying to you, right? Never happened. I think that happened to a lot of families, right? Um, I was a cultural priest for probably 18 years of my life, uh, meaning that I, I did the, the minimum, right? I did mass, I heard confessions, I did funerals, I did anointings, visited the sick. But I really didn't have a personal, intimate relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. I really didn't know him in a very deep and personal way. Um, I really hadn't given my life to him. It was just something I did. It was a job. It was a paycheck. And, and then I, I, I went to Fort Pier um, and to fill in, and there was this statue of Our Lady uh, in the rectory. And some of you heard this. The first thing I did, I, I took her out of the house, right? And I said, I don't want my house to be a shrine. And the secretary couldn't believe it. Father, that was Father Dale, that statue cost us $2,800, we gave that to him when he died. I said, well, good, the parish should have it back. <laughs> uh, right? This is the lukewarmness I'm talking about, right? And I, I went to a place called Magigoria, um, and, and Our Lady found me there, right? She reinvested me as a priest, and the Holy Spirit came upon me in a very powerful way. Six months later, I took five of my brothers uh, to Magigoria, and all of them had an encounter which literally changed their lives. I, I love this story with my brother Jim. There's about 20 of us uh, praying in, in, a, in a room, and we were asking the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and Our Lady to throw her mantle over us, and also my brother Jim jumped up. Jesus, I love you! We said, what the hell, what just, what just happened? That's never happened to anyone in my family. Right? He encountered the Lord Jesus in a very profound way. And just uh, about a month ago, I, I wrote a letter to remind him of that experience. Jim, you remember. You remember what you did and what happened to your heart. You, you know, so even growing up Catholic, um, all of us are Catholic now. We're all back in the church, except um, for my sister Jeanette, um, who is, was part of the Navigator movement in college. And, and so she's very faithful to church. We talk a lot about Christ, what he's doing in our life, but there's just something missing. I would just wish that she would experience the fullness uh, and the beauty of the Catholic Church and its richness. But our conversations continue and I continue to learn <laughs> so I can have deeper conversations uh, with her. So here's the, uh, oh, oh what's, Click, 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 bang, bang, bang. So here's what's oh. oh. <laughs> So yeah. Uh, there you have it. 
<clears throat> so real uh, quick, so here's the game plan. He, uh, he says that we must fast, pray, and sacrifice. Even Our Lady of Magigoria has said that prayer without fasting is like a one-legged soldier always easily defeated. And we usually see uh, uh, fasting associated with Lent for six weeks, right? You remember the boy with the demon in Mark's Gospel? Uh, the, uh, the followers of Jesus came up to him and said, why couldn't your disciples heal this boy? And Jesus says, because this one can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. You know, in Matthew, we hear Jesus talk about fasting and praying. And so fasting and praying should be a regular part of our Catholic life and shouldn't wait till Lent, right? Uh, every week, uh, we should be fasting in some sort. Um, uh, I would say especially from uh, social media. Um, you know, prayer, the beautiful story of Monica uh, and Augustine, right? Uh, uh, Monica um, uh, prayed for some 40 years, even followed her son Augustine's wayward child uh, to Milan and to Rome, praying, fasting, begging. Uh, she, she was an agger. Um, and this is what Ambrose uh, said to Monica. Monica, you need to speak less to Augustine about God and more to God about Augustine. <laughs> and that's exactly what she did, right? It's a beautiful, right? Stop nagging him about not going to church, about not going, not knowing Christ. Talk to God about that. And, and so, um, so we're called to pray, right? And uh, Matthew Kelly in his book, um, 7% uh, he would say are dynamic Catholics. And those who he called dynamic Catholics, they pray every single day at a particular time every day in a certain way every day. Right? And they're not going to leave it up to chance. So, so you should pick a time every day in which you pray. And you should have a game plan. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to pray this way. And so you, 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 prayer has to be a part of it. Um, Brandon Voigt says, pray that's uh, an Ambrose will come into your child's life. That can talk to him or her about the faith. To enter, enter meaningful conversations about the big questions of life. She says, seek Monica's um, uh, intercessions. Uh, uh, Peter Kreef, um uh, says this, I strongly suspect that if we saw all the differences, even the tiniest of our prayers to God, to God make, all people, those little prayers were destined to affect, and all the consequences of those effects down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with all the power of prayer that we would be unable to get off our knees for us the rest of our lives. We believe our prayers are powerful. Right? Do we beg God? In a very serious way. St. Andrew Bissett says, when you say to God our Father, he has his ear right next to your lips. Do you believe that? And then the, 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 the sacrifice part, right? We must be willing uh, 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 to sacrifice um, uh, Luke, 29, or Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you have a child that loves the faith, maybe you need to pick up the cross for them. Right? Because they can no longer carry the cross. 
they no longer want to embrace the cross. So you as parents, you as brother, you as sister, you carry the cross for them and you make the sacrifice on their behalf because at this point in their life, they can no longer carry the cross, but you can. David. The next step, equip yourself. Uh, some of you might know Jeff Hurd, but I was at Blessed Sacrament when he was talking to the parents of the new next confirmation class. And, and he said to them, uh, and gave them an analogy. All of you have been on an airplane, I'm sure, before, and the, the, the flight attendant will come and say, in the case of emergency, oxygen masses will drop down. You're supposed to put it on yourself first and then help a younger child or someone that can't do it. That's what you have to do. You have to equip yourself. You have to take in the oxygen yourself. You have to know your faith. You have to know what the game plan is before you can give it to your loved one. Okay? You got, you got, you got to, it has to be assimilated into yourself before you can pass it on. Uh, Father mentioned it already. Uh, the, reading scriptures. The Bible is the first book that you need to go to if you want to bring your, your people back to the church. Read the Bible <coughs> five, ten minutes a day. Start with the New Testament. Second of all, know the catechism of the Catholic Church. There's no church in the world that has it so spelled out to what they believe in the catechism. It's a fine document. How many of you have read it from cover to cover? Way to go. Give my hand. Okay? Read it. Read it. It's so powerful. And there's so many other things that you can do to, uh, uh, to equip yourself for this process. Um, obviously, the Lighthouse CDs are marvelous. Real Presence Radio has Coming Home, uh, the Coming Home show on it. They have Catholic answers on it. Yes? Tony and Chris have the entire catechism on a CD purchase also. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. Cool. Very cool. Um, CDs. Um, Catholic.com. If you have, if, if your loved one presents a question to you that you cannot answer, say, I'm going to get back to you. Go to Catholic.com. Put in the search, why do we believe in Mary? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And there's very concise and well-explained um, apologetics to help you with that. Catholic.com. And I cannot tell you how important, and Tony mentioned it, and Father mentioned it, but every one of you have a personal testimony that you can share with your kids. Tell Put, write it down. Write down your faith journey. Where you started and where you're at. Uh, I love the, what the stewardship has done. There's, there's a group of people that have written their testimonies in, in different parishes asking them to come out. And he wrote me into writing mine. Or I'd have never done it. <laughs> but but I've, I've done it. I've, I've done it to a couple parishes. But I've also sent it to every one of my kids, and also my grandkids. <coughs> I've also sent my testimony to some of my Catholic graduates from Longorman High School, who are my, still my friends, 
that are no longer practicing their faith. It's kind of risky, but what did he say last night? To be an intentional disciple, you have to take risks. Finally, um, in this process of getting your loved ones back to the church, find a partner. Find a partner that, that can pray with you and can sacrifice. How, you know, that's such a novel idea. God, would I fast if my son would come back to the church? So get a partner for you. Share with them. And that partner can encourage you in the process because it's not easy. It is not easy to get people that have fallen away back into the church. It wasn't for Monica. It's not going to be for us. So with a partner that can encourage you, that can pray with you, that can, that can let you vent and whatever. So equip yourself. You're up. And part of it is being people of prayer. We're called to be beggars. And sometimes we beg for a couple days. <laughs> you know, all right? You know, Monica prayed for over 40 years, right? A long time, every day, begging, begging, begging. And you might not see it if you start to put this into your game plan, right? To bring your loved one back to the church because you want to bring them back to the church because you know what it means in your own life. Right? That you wouldn't be here today, right? If you don't have this personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has so much more in store for all of us, including me. We just got to continue to move forward, continue to be people of prayer, right? Continuing to equip ourselves. Uh, the third one uh, is uh, plant the seeds. I remember being on retreat one time. We had this monk from Indiana, and he told us, Beautiful stories as he was uh, walking one day. And this farmer um, in southern Indiana had this huge cart of melons. He says, wow, I've never seen so many watermelons like that. They're huge. Did you grow those? The farmer says, oh, no, I just planted the seeds. God is the one who does the growing, right? We, we, we just have to plant the seeds. And the first seed that he talks about is to express unconditional love. He said this is the hardest part of the game plan because it means that you must um, come to your child, the one who left the faith, and if there's anything that is unforgiven, you need to ask for forgiveness. He says beg for, uh, for forgiveness. You must apologize. Beg for forgiveness. This is the hardest and most difficult step. Unless this happens, your child won't listen. Your child needs to know, um, needs to know um, that you have forgiven their wrongs, that you love them unconditionally. Show him or her you love them. As St. Thomas Aquinas would always say, will the good of the other, right? Will the good of the other. Even if your child will never ask for forgiveness yourself, or whether, whether they themselves apologize, that, that doesn't matter. It's not about that you as love them, right? That you must be the one to take the lead, to ask for forgiveness unconditionally, no strings attached. And he said a lot of a lot of people can't do that. He said that's the hardest step because it ones requires letting go of the pride, taking on uh, 
and the habit of humility. Uh, unconditional love asks for and express forgiveness each uh, to every child bonds for forgiveness, right? That's the painting, the first steps, right? This is the college kid who never experienced his father's love. Never experienced his father embracing his child saying, I love you. I would die for you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Right? A father or mother has to say that to the child. I'm sorry that I, I wasn't there for you. When you needed me the most, I apologize for that. It's the hardest step. I love this story. Um, Ernest Hemingway tells it in his book, The Capital of the World. <clears throat> it takes place in Madrid, Spain, when a, a father wanted to express his uh, forgiveness for his son, who was named Paco. Um, so he writes a letter and puts it in the newspaper. Paco, meet me at the Mont Montana Hotel at 2 o'clock uh, p.m. I want to uh, offer you my forgiveness. 800 Paco Shola. <laughs> right? They have to call the police, right? <laughs> Bear guards, right? All these Pacos are longing for forgiveness from their father. You know, no general apology is good enough. It has to be particular. It has to be specific. You know, I'm sorry when, when I yelled at you and then at this time. Just be careful passive-aggressive behavior, right? Um, plant seeds of gifts, um, us, um, slip good resources. David kind of talked about that. Catholic CDs, you know, give them as Christmas gifts. Maybe when your child comes home, put a couple on the nightstand or the bed they're going to sleep in, right? Pull the Bible off the shelf, right? Open it up, have it highlighted, right? This is my favorite passage, right? Plant these seeds, right? Um, they tell, he tells a, story, a beautiful story about Word on Fire, um, about Bob Dylan. And this college kid loved Bob Dylan. And he came across a CD by Bishop Barron, who loves Bob Dylan. Right? And Bill and Bob, uh, Bishop Barron does a whole CD on Bob Dylan relating the faith that this kid comes back to the church. That's the initial trust, right? Initial trust. There's a curiosity, right? There's a, an openness, there's a seeking, and then he's an intentional disciple. Amazing. Um, Peter Nile says Christianity uh, is a beggar telling another beggar he found food, right? <laughs> That's what we're called to do. Again, express empathy. When you get in conversations with your child about the faith, always restate their, their answer, right? Restate it with love. And don't be afraid to press the pause button. Don't let your Irish get out. Maybe we should stop this for a bit. Let's come back to it. And then, David, you're going to talk about the shoe pebble question. Well, uh, they, he talks about the, the pebble in your shoe. Hikers in here, you get walking, you get a pebble in your shoe, and you keep on walking, you don't want to stop. Because, you know, but after a while, you got a blister. Well, that's, that's, that, give them little pebbles in their shoe. Um, I send out uh, 
dynamic Catholic has a daily reflection. It's really small, really short. And I send it out to a bunch of people every day. Uh, my, grand, my grandson, my granddaughter, uh, my brother, uh, and so forth. And, and, you know, it might hit them, it might not. But hopefully, it causes a blister. And then he wants to take care of that blister. Okay? Um, the next step. Start the conversation. This is the hardest. This is hard. He said that's, that was hardest, but this is hard too. Um, only 8% of young people said their parents talked about religion daily. Only 20% of them heard it weekly. Um, and it's hard to start a conversation about faith, especially for someone that has left the faith. And so what, what Brandon Voigt says, um, start conversations with them. Call it friendly curiosity. Uh, you, you develop the trust that he talked about. How's your work going? What's going on in your life? Tell me about it. Don't start with faith. Just, just have this friendly curiosity. And it might be a month or two, but what's showing them is that you're really concerned about them, their well-being and where, where they're at in their life. You know, and then after a point in time, you might, you might feel comfortable enough to ask this question. Um, can I ask you something? I wonder if you'd be open. I wonder if you would be up for talking about spiritual things sometime. I know you have a mixed uh, relationship with the church, but would you be open to talking about it with me? And I just want to listen. I just want to listen. I want to know where you're coming from. And if... If that didn't work, try it again later. Um, you know, and then hopefully from that, they'll ask questions. And you can ask questions such as, well, what do you believe about blank? It could be anything. What do you believe about God? They might have a misconception of what God is about. What do you believe about Jesus? I just want to know. What do you believe about the church morality? And these types of questions can go on, and you can say, why do you think that's true, this belief of yours? Why do you think that's true? How did you come to believe that? Where did, you, where did that come from? Where your child got his beliefs are very important, or your loved one. And so you have to ask that question. You have to make sure you define terms. And then, and this is not going to happen all in one city. You might be uncomfortable about it. But like he said, it takes a risk. Um, one, of the, one of the nice things that I that heard about or read about in this is that if, you, if your son says or your brother or whatever says, well, I've never found the mass to be relevant to me anymore. And then you would go to a hypothetical question. You'd say, well, what will you say to someone who believes the Mass is deeply relevant because it offers something they can't find anywhere else in the world, a direct encounter with God? Now, the hypothetical, what would you say to someone? Not that, well, I find the Mass wonderful. By putting it hypothetical, it doesn't make the other person defensive. Um, you know, and, and it's very thought-provoking. What would you say to someone like that? That the Mass is a very powerful encounter with Christ. 
a very intimate encounter with Christ. This hypothetical question will make it less likely that your child would become defensive or take a, ch- a personal challenge simply because it's hypothetical. Another good question is, what is the biggest thing keeping you away from the church? This might not happen the same time. This might happen two months later, three months later, a year later. What is the biggest thing keeping you away from the church? Asking this may invite you, your loved one to hone in on what is the biggest, most troubling roadblock to returning. And here's another good one. What is the one thing that bugs you the most about the church? And let them vent. Let them vent and listen. I'm just going to listen. I just want to know what's bugging you. And let it all hang out. Um, this will give you two good effects. One will help uh, helps him or her to clarify his criticism and absorbing his criticism conveys that you genuinely are concerned and care about them. You know, helps them realize what it is and genuinely lets them know that you care for them and their concerns. And you continue to actively have that conversation. It might take months again. It's not easy. It's risky business. It's messy sometimes. We have about 10 minutes left, and, and so we'll finish up with uh, the last uh, two here, or three. Um, we'll move the dialogue forward. Um, if, you, if anyone in the discussion gets angry, you lose, right? Bring more light than heat, right? More light than heat. Uh, stay positive. Uh, be humble, right? Um, um, even, even if you're, you're, you're passionate, right? Um, Again, express uh, empathy. Um, again, that sense of, uh, in this conversation, moving it forward, always uh, restate your child's uh, thoughts so that you, you heard them right, right? You're not making uh, uh, presumptions uh, about them. Um, always speak with joy, right? Smile often as you're moving this conversation forward. Uh, emphasize uh, the yes of the church, right? When the church says no to abortion, it says yes to life, right? When the church says no to premarital to sex, uh, the church says yes um, to seeing sex, uh, the, the conjugal act, act as sacred, as holy. So when the church says no to something, there's always a greater yes uh, involved. But always do it with uh, a compassion. Share joyful stories, um, you know, as you move this forward. You know, where are some of those great testimonies um, that touched your heart. Maybe it's uh, someone you know, maybe it's a saint. It's these joyful stories, like I love that story, that young high school Legion boy um, last night, right? And when he comes back from Guatemala, he even plays better than he did before. Right, you can't do, you can't outdo God's uh, uh, generosity. And then again, let your uh, passion shine. Uh, flies are attracted to light. Right? Your child will be attracted to your message if it burns with conviction and passion. Um, and then step six. Invite and connect. Um, 
after you have, you know, this strange where you see that your the, the curiosity and your, your loved one wants to go further, uh, multiple studies show that the strongest way to ensure someone becomes an intentional disciple is get them hooked up with other intentional disciples. Get them into the community. Uh, there are there are like a weekend retreats. Um, I'm I've made a casillo, and I don't know if any of you have, but it was a, a, one of the most powerful conversion experiences that I've ever had. Um, it gives opportunity to relate to other people on this journey, and it also gives a group of people that I can continue this process with. And you need a group. I have a group of men that I meet with every Saturday at 7.30, except for this Saturday, because I'm here. But it lifts me up and it encourages me, and that's what that's what our loved ones need to go on this process. Um, there are parish events that they can go. There's Bible studies. Uh, we have returning Catholics. Uh, uh, I think it's at isn't our Lady of Black Hills right now? Isn't that what's going on? And then it'll be at the cathedral. It'll be at Blessed Sacrament. But get them involved with that. And and this is a very cool story. Um, RCIA. I, uh, once again, I mentioned that. I have a guy in RCIA that left the church, Catholic education, he's in his 50s. And, and he's gone through RCIA because he wants to come through the church again. And he does, all he has to do really is just go to confession and do the, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. But he wants to reinvigorate himself. And last Tuesday, he brings this guy in, and I said, well, hi, how are you? And I introduced myself, and he says, um, are you looking to join the process? No, my friend here just brought me. I was raised Catholic, and uh, and I just want to see what it's about again. And he and he and so this. You remember the disciples spread disciples and all this other stuff. Well, I asked him. I said, um, "Well, are you going to come back next week?" And he said, "Well, I don't know if my wife will let me after I told her what I did tonight." <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously they're they're you know in a mixed relationship um, but a word of cautious don't push your loved ones into it um, don't offer too many things too fast let them digest the whole process um, continue serving your loved ones with grace patience and encouragement let the journey run its course not your course and the next step and then maybe as I do this last step talking Sandy if you can uh, pass out the um, handouts and the prayer card there, that would be great. The last step is uh, close the loop. You know, how many of you bought a car without signing the contract? Right? It doesn't happen. You can't take the car out of the parking lot. Um, the Gene, who is a campus minister at Texas A&M, which is the largest Catholic campus ministry in the nation, uh, he says when you evangelize, you always have to close the loop. What does he mean by closing the loop? Inviting the person to make a faith commitment. You know, so as your child comes back to the faith, they're getting ready to be that intentional disciple. You've got to invite them. Are you ready to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you ready to give your, your life to Christ and the church? And so he would say you have to uh, close the loop. Um, and when he talks about that... Um, in the end, um, you know, connect them with the priest, uh, make a good confession, reconcile with them, 
the church, RCIA, and find a good parish community to be a part of. So make sure you close the loop, and then David will end um, with this prayer uh, to uh, uh, the St. Monica. Does everyone have one? I know they have a, <clears throat> they have a, um, a group going, Shana Hansen, who I, I work with, and she belongs to a group at Blessed Sacrament, that's actually going through this book right now. So you can do it as a group. They're great videos, great questions. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. With me, St. Monica, I need your prayers. You know exactly how I'm feeling because you want to go yourself. I'm hurting and hopeless in the spirit. I desperately want my child to return to the church, but I can't do it alone. I need God's help. Please join me in begging for sending his grace into my child's life. Ask the Lord Jesus to soften his heart, prepare a path for his conversion, and activate the Holy Spirit in his life. Amen. And I ask the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of understanding, knowledge, counsel, courage, fear of the Lord, that we can undertake this process of bringing back everyone in the same body of Christ. I, I think they have some books, sorry. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I do think they have some books of return at, at the Muslim Sea Bookstore. Thanks for coming. Thank you.